touchdown, running into first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? Ah, uh, yes, it is the breakdown. It is a day late, but it is not a dollar short. We promise you that. We would never lead you on. It'd be a dollar short in any way, shape, or form. He is Derek Taylor at DT on SC. I am Marshall Ferguson at TSN underscore Marsh. You can always find us at CF Perspective. Of course, being able to bring you the breakdown here, usually on a Wednesday, usually to start your day. It's been a weird couple of weeks, though, in terms of scheduling DT, uh, as we decided to hold off on this one this week, because after having Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night football, we had Tuesday night football. Uh, we are playing football every single day of the week in 2021, and it's not because we're doing crazy NFL 2020 makeup games where the Bills are playing the Titans uh, in Nashville on a Tuesday afternoon and there's a the Cowboys are playing again on a Wednesday. It's just this is just how we made it. This is just the way we decided yeah. to do things this year. So it's a little bit wacky, but it's been fun uh, having a little bit more of a steady diet over this three week period. Because once we get through this, if you look at the schedule, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday. Hey, the playoffs are here. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, look, we're done. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a bit of a sprint once we get through this wackiness. Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Saturday for the Red Blacks. Yikes. Yikes <laughs> with that schedule for them, unfortunately. But, I mean, we, we owe Calgary some love for introducing us to Jake Mayer. Do we do, does Ottawa deserve some love for introducing us to Caleb Evans on Tuesday night? Yeah, yeah. We will get to that coming up in just a second here because that is uh, something that was extremely unexpected. Uh, and I was texting Dwayne Ford throughout the afternoon leading into that game on Tuesday. I said, well, what are you going to do? Like, have you been watching a bunch of film with these guys from back in their, their previous days at University of Louisiana Monroe and, and Oklahoma State team with Taylor Cornelius? And he said, listen, been around long enough. I know this. It's either going to be the start of an incredible story or it's going to be a bad game. <laughs> and he said, either way, it's a compelling storyline that we will cover our very best. And sure enough, he got a great storyline that came in there. So uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But get back in the game with Fox 40. Visit fox40shop.com. Get coaching boards, gear, and more. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. And of course, Sada City Beer. You want to get yourself something to drink during the football games to enjoy. I know there were a lot of people out here in the East that were watching that 10 p.m. kick that DT was calling in Vancouver against the BC Lions, a game that went right down the end of that stretch. Uh, there was a lot of people having a Friday night bevy, I think, enjoying that one and going, whoa, okay, this feels very much like one of the CFL games of the year because it had a little bit of everything. It was a little bit wacky. Uh, it was fun, but you can use the promo code as well on sawdustcitybeer.com. Uh, that is CFL and get yourself free shipping on your first order over $100. It's available to Ontario residents only, and you must be of legal drinking age. So that Tuesday night football game, Caleb Evans comes in, ends up playing very respectfully and ends up uh, leading them to a victory against Edmonton. I will give you the choice here, DT. Where would you like to go with this? Will it be analysis of Caleb Evans 
and his uh, his introduction to Canadian Football League fans? Or is it uh, a bunch of names that we know very well in Edmonton that have somehow found a way to be the only team twice now to lose to the Ottawa Red Blacks who have looked defunct against everybody else? Uh, I put out that statistic that the Ottawa Red Blacks have led on only 13.6% of their offensive snaps so far in 2021. That's a low across the entire CFL. Every single one of those 13.6% of snaps in which they have been leading have been against Edmonton. It's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, It's crazy that Edmonton has only two wins. I'm going to choose to go with the Edmonton one because there's a lot of ranting that needs to be done on the Edmonton one. We'll condense it into a few minutes, but uh, just just put out there, I, I bet heavily that Edmonton would be over five and five and a half wins. Yep. Writing that money off, writing it off right now. I cannot believe a team with this much talent looks so bad at football. And the only thing I can come back to is coaching is a real problem here. Uh, I, I have nothing to back that up. But it can't be Darrell Walker and Greg Ellingson are not terrible football players. These are two of the five best receivers in the league. And Walker leaves a game against the Red Blacks with three catches. Are, is that a joke? Like, full props to Shy Ross, Devon Smith for getting theirs. Those guys are, are, are three and four in there. How is the ball not going to one and two, 87 mm-hmm. and 82 in this case? I don't understand. And this has been all season long. Greg Ellingson had a game in which he had five targets, and the only ball he caught for one yard bounced off another guy. What is this offense? It is way too talented for this. And honestly, the defense has been fine. I've had no particular problems with it until this game when the, the flea flicker, Ryan Davis to Kenny Stafford, burns them, and then they get burned on the corner route by Anthony Coombs. Uh, I mean, everything about the Elks is so frustrating. As someone who thought they would do very well this season, it makes no sense. And all I can come back to is, Coaching and maybe the two top coaches' personalities are are turning off things from the inside, and maybe Edmonton has gone entirely the wrong way with their coaching hires. Yeah, and I think the the difficult part of the analysis on what's wrong with Edmonton per se, big picture, yes, for the season, but specifically against Ottawa, is that I don't know if when I go back and I watch this game and I see some of the things that are happening X's nose wise, like I got a, I got tagged in a tweet from somebody saying, I think it was David Butler who's a big uh, Edmonton fan. And he said, uh, you know, I need you to do a full deep dive breakdown of what's wrong with Elizondo's offense and how they've changed from 2019. And why is this different from what Ottawa was running with him back in 2018 and, 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 and I'm like, it's there's, I can do all these data points. I can do formation alignment. I can do personnel packages. I can do run pass splits based on down and distance. I can, I don't, I don't think much of it's that different. Like this is what's so confusing to me and to people like us, DT, is that if you love the CFL, you are basing your analysis on everything I just mentioned, which is I know what Elizondo, and this was our analysis going into the season. It was there's no way that a team that has that guy running their offense with that guy as their quarterback, with those guys as their receivers, with James Wilder Jr. Mm-hmm. running hard is going to end up playing poorly. But I, I mean, maybe it's just a mojo thing. Maybe it's behind the scenes. Maybe it's the bad juju of Jacob Ruby doing what he did with everything around the vaccination that wasn't really the vaccination. Maybe it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm struggling to try and find answers for what has happened 
with Edmonton in this spot. And I don't think there's any specific data point that you or I can look at and say, well, this is what's broken with them. Because there's times where like the BC Lions struggle offensively in the second half against Saskatchewan. And you look at the run pass splits and you're like, oh, hell, they just don't have any interest in running the football whatsoever. And it's like, that's fine to a certain point. But then you realize, well, now Saskatchewan is just going to line up and Jonathan Woodard's going to be like, you know what? I, I know you're throwing every single play, so I'm going to rush you as if you're throwing every single play. And he starts to get home, starts to cause some havoc. And start. I just, there's not really that specific moment because they are balanced. They are varied. They are running different formations. They are using different personnel packages. They are, they're just not producing. And, uh, and it's the most confusing issue of 2021 of any team any situation that i've seen is there a unit on that team that you go okay that's not top that's not the top half of the league defensive backfield those guys look great linebackers okay two young americans but Derek moncrief they add in great defensive line love it offensive line it's kind of tough to tell in the cfl this season receiving core one of the best in the league wilder Finishes second in the league in rushing. He gets great yards after contact. He he what got did he catch 12 balls in the opener against Ottawa? Yeah. Trevor Harris, one of the top three, four quarterbacks in the CFL, maybe well, depending on where you put Bo this year. There's nothing I see from a player personnel perspective that explains how they are so unbelievably enable unable to score points i don't understand trevor harris's accuracy numbers are surprisingly good like he's he's the most accurate quarterback in the cfl by my numbers compared to you know when you adjust for depth of target and where the ball goes sure some there have been more interceptable passes but i don't see that being the problem and honestly when i'm left with that all i come back to is coaches coaches between elizondo between noel thorpe is is the message getting across or is it polluted in some fashion? Is, is the, it, yeah, I, I, cause I don't know. And I don't want to stain anybody too terribly much. Is there a problem from the coaches down to the players? Because there is way too much talent to be this, to lose to Ottawa twice. Come on. Come well, on. And I think the twisting of the knife, certainly this past week was Kenny Stafford looks like a pretty damn good cultural fit. Doesn't he? <laughs> Like, and I understand that that was the joke that that was on the tip of everybody's tongue when they saw him score the touchdown, but that was the first thing that I thought was that looks like for for an organization that needed offensive skill talent, Ottawa picks him up because he's a cut and Natea Jay tweeted out, man, there's nothing like scoring a touchdown against the team that cut you. Like the team that did not want you and you score against them in the regular season in that same season, not even years later, that same season, you're like, no, I'm still productive. And did Kenny Stafford score the touchdown and go running past the Edmonton bench and flipping them the bird? And no, dude scored, went to the sideline and hung it with his teammates. It was like, I, I don't know. I didn't see it. Like, I don't know what the issue was there. And it's, but again, even with that being said, they didn't need Kenny Stafford. They have Darrell Walker. They have Greg Ellingson. And when you talk about coaching, the one that kind of jumped out to me in this game was that Taylor Cornelius, I don't believe even had a, oh. sing, a single target in this game for Mike Jones. And you might say, well, what's the problem there? Well, Mike Jones, you don't think of him as an elite Canadian talent, but I wrote last week on CFL.ca that he's become one. And you would say, well, maybe he just doesn't have chemistry with Taylor Cornelius then. Well, the thing is he had five catches on six targets in Cornelius' first start. So here in his second start, coming out of a bye week, 
how did he just completely evaporate? And yeah, you might say, well, if Shai Ross took those targets or uh, they had other players that stepped up and were being productive. Yeah, that's fine. But they weren't getting the same productivity from Shai Ross as they were for Mike Jones when he was targeted in Cornelius' first start. So mm-hmm. that, again, I think that comes back to coaching game plan and designing a way to get playmakers the, the football, which is an issue that we've seen at various points with all of their top three or top four receivers in Edmonton this year. Yeah. And Cornelius is an interesting case. Things will be different when Trevor Harris gets back, presumably. Cornelius, I don't, there aren't many prettier balls thrown in the CFL. And that dude appears to just have an absolute rocket, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know if he can change speeds and man, he hung some receivers out to dry with it's at your feet. Ellingson's running an in cut and has to reach behind him to try and get it. And you go, yeah, I see why I see why a coach would fall in love with that because the ball looks so nice, but his accuracy is not there yet. Does it on the move, he can do some stuff, but oh boy, that's yeah, that'll take some work still. Yeah, and I'll just say this about him to wrap up on the thoughts of Edmonton here before we give Caleb Evans some much needed love is that uh the the deep touchdown pass that is completed Cornelius down the field to Shy Ross, it's great, but I don't think he was trying to do that. Like, I don't, oh, no. I, like that's a false positive. Like I'm looking at where he spotted that football in that moment. And it comes out of his hand great. And it flies 50 plus yards in the air by the flick of a wrist. And, and I'm like, you don't back shoulder a skinny post route in the middle of the field with the defender running step for step with him. So like that probably should have been an interception if it were played better in the air. Like if that's TJ Lee or Gary Peters, or if that's Ed Ganey or Nick Marshall, that's an interception. Like And then all of a sudden, we're not saying, wow, he really hits the deep ball. This is why I love quarterback play is that it's nuanced and there's lots of different ways to play it and be successful. You can have a big arm and that is an asset. But quarterback play is so much more than having a big arm. And to your point, his mechanics and it's I actually loved what Jim Barker did on the panel in this game where because I'm watching the first half and I'm seeing the way that. I mean, there's reads in the CFL, specifically in this type of football, 12-man and the width of the field, where, you know, it, let's say you've got a three-man concept over to the field and the inside receiver is running a skinny post holding the free safety. The number two receiver is running a vertical route. And then if the corner falls off on that vertical from number two, you've just got like a hang route to the sideline. Maybe it's a hang route. Maybe it's a flat route from the running back checking down. Whatever it might be, as a quarterback, you have to be able to go Okay, middle of the field taken away by the free safety. Uh, Vertical shot by number two, corner fell off. Okay, get to that hang route. And when you do, you just flip your hips, get to it, and put the ball out there as quickly as possible, hang it to the sideline. Well, he tries Mm. to do that, but he tries to do that without actually using his body because he's so talented and has such a strong arm. He's like, I'll just flick my wrist and throw this thing 35 yards to the sideline. Well, I'm jealous because I would love to be able to do that, and I could never... But at the same time, I would rather throw that hang route, that check down, that that wide side flat route. I'd rather throw that my way than throw that his way. Because his way is, man, it puts his receivers, to your point, in some really bad spots. So I haven't been overly impressed by him. I know that they say that they've, they've got this big, bright future for him. I think they're enticed by the big arm. I think they're enticed by he's 6'5 and he can move. He's not a complete statue. I, in, in the CFL, I would rather have a Vernon Adams Jr. or a Caleb Evans in terms of athletic ability, moving in open space, snappy release, than have guy who's got a longer release, who is a big body, uh, because I don't think you need the big body in the CFL. It's been proved by 
Jeremiah Masoli having success as a guy that didn't have any success looking down south after college football because they're like, oh, you're too tiny. You can't see through anything. So, uh, again, it's it's not that simple. It is a, it's a more nuanced conversation. But uh, I do want to get to Caleb Evans here uh, and talk for a minute about him because uh, he did show off dual threat. Uh, my comp, as I kind of teased there, in the open field, to me, he looks a lot like Vernon Adams Jr. He looks a lot like he can outrun your defenders to the corner, some of the zone read stuff, all the rest. I think he's more athletic than a David Watford, certainly more athletic than anybody that's played quarterback in Ottawa this year. Uh, but what were your impressions of what Caleb Evans was offering up? Because I know that we're all going to do the, oh my God, there was somebody playing quarterback in Ottawa that didn't look like complete trash. He must be a god. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, it's just by by the relative scale of where we've seen Ottawa quarterback play this year, it, it looked a hell of a lot better. And I think that's why people were just excited to see some form of competency at that position. Yeah. Uh, sub 200 yards passing, but that's negated by Ryan Davis, what the double pass that Ryan Davis then hits for the touchdown and that Devontae Dedman returned one for a score that takes out what could have been two, 260 or 270. Uh, I mean... He was on target. The, the dual threat thing is very real. And he did not seem phased by these were his first snaps in the Canadian Football League. He did not seem phased uh, at all. I was no. super impressed. And this is exactly why a couple weeks ago we were talking about and my take was you have to tell Dom Davis he's not a CFL quarterback anymore. Just do it because there may be something else out there. And you were keeping they essentially robbed Caleb Evans of two more starts. And okay, the one was in the rain, it would have been horrific. Yeah. Uh, but they robbed him of two more CFL starts, and maybe it's not any more wins, but we, a chance to explore this versus the known known of Dominic Davis can't be the quarterback. This was an unknown, unknown, unknown. We knew we didn't know anything about him, but I mean, off of one performance against what might be the worst team in the league now, the Edmonton, uh, the Edmonton Elks, he he looks all right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say this as well in terms of the way that this game felt, the flow of the game right from the very first quarter. That's the most comfortable. And this is interesting because, again, quarterback play, there's a lot of different ways to do this, as I mentioned when I'm talking about Taylor Cornelius. That's the most comfortable that Paul Apolise has seemed calling a game all year. And the reason yes, that, I, that I, the reason I reason I know that is it felt like a Paul Apolise called football game for the first time in 2021. And when I say that, what I mean is I saw them run quarterback draw and it caught my eye and I went, oh, I've seen this quads to the field, running back leads to the right and then pulls back through as the lead ISO blocker. I go, I saw that with Chris Trevler against Montreal in Montreal back in 2019, in the regular season. Like my eye, just because I've, I studied some of that stuff, it caught my attention and I went, so he just went to a Strevler. And now again, Caleb Evans, different body type completely than Chris Trevler, Timothy Flanders different player than Andrew Harris leading through the hole offensive line different for Ottawa than what Winnipeg has. But that doesn't mean that he, he, to me, when I see him call that and I see where they were using it on that part of the field in a similar situation to what he did with Strevler and with Winnipeg in Montreal in 2019, I'm seeing that and I'm going, he's comfortable. Like he knows where mm-hmm. he wants to use this. He's, he's going back to his staples. And when you see the double pass, that was another one where you're like, Okay, obviously he's playing with some house money and playing confidently, but he follows up the double pass by calling a touchdown shot on that corner route. There was another corner route to Mm -hmm. Coombs that should have been another touchdown where Coombs absolutely broke down his man and took a shot. And think about this, like Dan Peterman didn't do anything. Dan Peterman was one of the better Canadian receivers in terms of production per target 
coming into this game. They didn't even need him in order to be successful offensively. They got RJ Harris involved. He looked happy. Like he Mm. looked like he had energy. The offensive line looked like they were playing with tempo. The whole operation felt alive for the first time. And the only change really was at quarterback. And that tells me everything I need to know about this dude. So I did want to mention this just because I'm calling the game on television coming up on Wednesday with Ottawa in Toronto to take on the Argos. And uh, I'm just a a wee play-by-play man, and we usually aren't supposed to lead with the analysis. So I like to use this platform to just kind of get something off my chest about this. Farhan Lalji tweeted at me and said, hey, uh, you know, it's a lot harder the second time around. I agree. I understand going into this game now, Chris Jones is going to be scheming you. Now he's got game film, all the rest. But there's a difference between being highly predictable and having tendencies that are overwhelming, I would say, uh, to where it's like, oh, that's like Brandon Bridge to me. If you study that guy, it's like, oh, that's what Brandon Bridge does. Well, guess what? We're going to do this. We're going to blitz his throwing arm side. We're not going to give him right side completions, and we're going to try and hem him into the pocket so he can't get it scrambled. Boom. Oh, look, Brandon Bridge can't make plays. It was like that was the formula in order to beat him. I don't think there's enough film as of yet. I could be, be very wrong on this by the time that we're talking about this next Thursday. I don't think there's enough film on Caleb Evans to have a true understanding of what his tendencies are as of yet. And I also think that even if you have some tendencies, if those tendencies are based in an offense in which there are sound reads and progressions that allow you to get through your progression and always find the right answer, it doesn't matter if you have tendencies because there will always be a right answer as long as you stick to your progressions and you understand the offense. And what Lapalise has there in his offense is a system that says, no matter what, I will always have an out for you. Sometimes I'll just call the out for you. Maybe it'll, I'll call you a screen. It'll be a one-man read or it'll be a one-player read. And it's just get the ball, quick decision there. Nope. Okay, right there. Sometimes it'll be that where he'll script that in. But if it's not that simple, he will never leave Caleb Evans in this game against Chris Jones and the Argonauts. He'll never leave him on the field going, well, I don't know where to go with the football. I'm going to hold onto it for way too long and we're going to take a bad sack and go backwards 20 yards. Lapolis is never going to make his quarterbacks feel that way. So when I say, hey, he could be really dangerous going forward because I like his playing style, it's that in combination with knowing what that offense and the guy behind that offense is going to do to make him feel comfortable. So do I think he he blows up and has 400 yards passing in game number two? No, but I also don't think he goes backwards. I don't think he has four interceptions. I don't think he has two two turnovers. I don't think he has two strip sacks. I I think he just comes out and does what he did uh, did in this game in his first start because I think what he's doing, considering who's running the show behind him, is sustainable, albeit not crazy productive, but he can keep doing what he Mm. did in this first start. I'll be curious to see it because Ottawa, on the whole, is still less talented than, in my mind, every other team in the Canadian Football League, and injuries have not done them any favors as well. But there is, I mean, this is the first time this season where I thought there's hope at quarterback. And that's by far the most important position on the field. But so there's there's hope. There's hope for the Ottawa Redblacks. Yes, absolutely. Uh, just before we start to wrap up, uh, let's give you a dealer's choice here, DT. Where would you like to go? Would you like to go uh, BC, Saskatchewan, the game that you were calling that was very fun last Friday? We could talk some two-point. We could talk a little bit of teeing up this weekend across the league. Uh, who would you like to uh, to look at? What would you like to look at here? Dealer's choice on a five-minute warning. Uh 
Two-point conversion. Rick Campbell sure. scores a touchdown to go up five with nine-plus to go, 920-something to go. He goes for one. Ultimately, that is the downfall of the BC Lions. They lose by one point, essentially, because the the freaky play at the end. They essentially lose by one point because he didn't go for two. So instead of losing by potentially losing by two, he was okay with losing by one instead of forcing a tie. Just going to throw these out because I've tracked them since they changed the rules in 2015. Two-point converts, overall, 60% of the time, they're converted. One-point converts, 90% of the time, they are converted. That ain't automatic. It's 90%. It's not automatic. And people have said to me, well, if they don't miss a field goal and they don't shank a punt, they win the game. That's, that's why you go for two, to prepare for weird things can happen in the ensuing five possessions of this game. And oh, by the way, uh, where Camacho kicked that field goal from, CFL kickers in the last 15 years hit 67% from that distance. <laughs> Your whole game plan is a 67% chance being a sure thing. You're doing that wrong too, right? So you have to be prepared for these things. Craig Dickinson, four possessions earlier, played relative score and went for two to turn a one-point game into a three-point game. Whether that's too early or not, whatever, Craig Dickinson thought this is relative score. Rick Campbell went, ah, you know what? doesn't matter. I'm taking the sure thing. When you, That's a point where you absolutely have to play the relative score and make it seven. Because at six, they're going to try to drive down the field and, and bust it in for the win. And Brett Lawler's not missing that kick. That was an incredible blunder, in my mind, from a guy who was, at one point, the go-for-twoingest coach in the CFL didn't go for two, and I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded to this minute that, uh, that he didn't do it. I am uh, I'm so thankful that you have that resource, that database that you have built out of the history of the game, the percentages, the depths, and the... the uh, I mean, because all of that stuff, people need to realize when they're watching a CFL game that this is not the fly by the seat of your pants DT tweeting out like, what are you doing? You need to, you need to go for two. He's not just like celebrating chaos and trying to create madness in the stands of people screaming. This is stuff that's been looked into uh, and these things have been studied. And that's why uh, I love it. And I'll, I'll wrap up my thoughts here on, uh, first of all, I'm with you on all of that. Um, but the reason that I wanted to kind of wrap up uh, on on my set of things is that I was doing some number crunching coming out of that Hamilton Ottawa. Was that even a football game? I don't know what that was. Uh, like last Wednesday, whatever that thing was, that uh, it, it happened. Splish flash party. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a bunch of people ran around. They were wearing different color uniforms, and we called it a football game. And then we just gave Hamilton a win at the end of it. But um, <laughs> when uh, when I saw the uproar on social media of what are we doing? The CFL needs to have a third quarterback dress. This is embarrassing. The development of the league, the sky is falling. The roster construction is ever, everything is ruined. And, yeah. and my first thought on this was, remember when we were all just begging to have CFL football back and we said, you know what? I'll never complain about any of the stupid little stuff ever again. I just hope we get back on the field and I hope the players have a great season and I hope everybody's healthy. That was two months ago. It took us two months to get to the point where we decided to just start screaming about something that does not matter. And you might be saying, does not matter. There was a receiver that played quarterback at the end of a CFL game. That's embarrassing. That should not be happening. Okay, I understand. That was a difficult spot for Nate Bahar. But I also want you to understand, in 2021, the starting quarterback listed on the depth chart for each week, whether it's Trevor Harris or Taylor Cornelius or whoever's listed as QB1 that week, 
has taken 93% of the snaps, okay? And that factors in backup quarterbacks coming in for quarterback sneak short yardage otherwise. You've got the team with the most backup quarterback snaps being taken in Ottawa because Dominic Davis replaces Matt Nichols and Matt Nichols replaces Dominic Davis. It's just, it's been a mess and whatever. The team with the least amount of snaps that have been taken by the backup by virtue of Cody Fajardo getting dinged in that one game and Isaac Harker having to come in, it's actually Montreal. Matthew Schultz has taken six snaps thus far this year. Every other snap for the Montreal Alouettes has been Vernon Adams Jr. So you've got 93% of the snaps being taken by QB1. You've got 6.9% of the snaps being taken by the backup quarterback. Now of those snaps, 16.6% of the quarterback two snaps are sneaks. The rest are live snaps. They're going in, they're playing actual snaps. QB, QB3. Okay, I want to put put in perspective here for you all in Canadian football perspective. I want you to know that when you're screaming about, why are we dressing a third quarterback? We need to have this. It's a disaster. It looks so bad for the league. Nate Bahar is the only person that's had to do that, obviously, this year. He took five snaps out of the 3,399 snaps that have been taken in the CFL so far this season. That is 0.12%. Like, what are we yelling about? What are we upset about? I understand it was bad, but here's the reality. If you have two quarterbacks who both get hurt over a 60-minute game, over four quarters, that's really bad luck. That's really unfortunate. But God, is that ever rare? Like, And it just blew my mind that people latched onto, I need something to yell about. Well, the CFL is doing itself a disservice, and it's so embarrassing because they don't dress a third quarterback who's legitimate. The upside of not dressing the third quarterback to me is so much bigger in terms of flexibility and adding a ratio spot and another spot and adding in a global player who's going to make a name for himself and the long-term growth of the league. Aside from having to have somebody come in and hand the ball off four times and go one for one on a screen pass, which is exactly what a third quarterback would have done. What the hell's the difference with Nate Bahar doing it or a third string quarterback that we know absolutely nothing about? So I just, I can't believe people got upset about that. And it's just such a non-issue. I hope people would just take a step back and look at the big picture and go, okay, 93% quarterback one, 6.9% quarterback two. 0.1% quarterback three. Why am I yelling about this? How about I just enjoy the games? One to add to that. There's a great follow on Twitter. Stats underscore junkie. There's a lot of CFL work. Since the 70s, and Marsha, you may know the answer, but I'm just throwing this out because I want people to guess. Since the 70s, he's gone back and tracked how many times because of injury, three quarterbacks have been in the CFL game. Since the late 70s, that's more than 40 years. There have been how many times? I Pause s- for answer. I saw the tweet and I forget the answer. So I will I yeah. will not just be naive here. I'll also be dumb. And I will say 20 times maybe? 15. 15. Okay. He, listed, he tracked down 14. And then there was the Zach Caleros, Cody Fajardo, Isaac Harker game week <laughs> one of 2019. 15 times in more than 40 years of CFL action has a third quarterback got in because of injury, not because mop up, not because, because 15 times once every three years. Yeah. It's not worth worrying about. And that roster spot is you better used on a linebacker who can play specials and take uh, TJ Lee from, from having to do some hitting on, on special teams or, or save a Luchez Purifoy in the long run. Way better that way. The NFL is going to two quarterbacks. Those are some of the brightest minds in football. Hey, they're the richest and brightest minds in football. 
the CFL, two quarterbacks is just fine. And oh, by the way, you can carry a third one if you want, but strangely, no coach has decided to carry one because it just doesn't matter. You're yeah. you're done. If you go from one to two, you're probably done. If you go from one to three, you're no you're not winning that game. No, and I, I also uh, I remember calling games for the Hamilton Tiger Cats on radio and realizing when I was looking at their depth chart week in week out, oh, they're only dressing two quarterbacks. That's weird. And it was because they had found a loophole where well, we don't have to dress a third, so we're just not going to. And the league started looking at it, they're like, wait a minute, you guys aren't dressing a th- why aren't you dressing a third? And then they started looking at the NFL and they're like, why are any of us dressing a third? What are we, what are we doing? And when they started actually crunching the numbers on it, it was like, yeah, okay, let's, let's just write this in. So um, they gave them the option and everybody's taking the option to decide to not go that direction. Yeah. So, uh, so it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and I'm glad that people hopefully will realize over time and we will reference the back end of this podcast forevermore when people start screaming about quarterback three, because I feel like we've laid out a, uh, a fairly decent argument for you here for your friends around the water cooler. Unless it's Brian Bennett, who was a special teamer, right? He, yes. was, he was a valuable special teamer. Earlier in his career, Cody Fajardo did special teams as well. Uh, the, uh, Jordan Lynch in Edmonton yep. was a valuable special team. You went, okay, yes, absolutely. If that guy can pay dividends, have a third quarterback. But yep. don't have it just if, it, if he's only throwing the ball, there's, there's no point. You're wasting a roster spot. You can develop people without having them stand on the sidelines as quarterback three in games wearing a uniform. Like that's the reality is you can do that in practice. If that's what your plan is to develop long term, do it in practice. You don't have to have them on the roster on game day to be able to do that stuff. So uh, that's going to do it for us on the breakdown this week. Uh, Special thank you to DT for being flexible with this one because my schedule has been all over the place. It's been a weird week. We've been moving podcasts all over the place because uh, we're, you know, we talk about the league not flying by the seat of their pants here. We've been flying by the seat of our pants to try and get you guys all these podcasts out and, and bounce around the schedule that they've had for the last couple of weeks. But normalcy is just around the corner. And of course, we could not give you this uh, podcast and all the good stuff that we try to deliver each and every week without our friends at Fox 40. Make sure you're going to Fox 40 shop uh, and use that promo code CFP15. Say thank you to them for saying thank you to us for delivering all of this to you. Thanks, DT. Have yourself a great weekend. And uh, and I hope that the uh, riders continue to uh, provide you lots of interesting conversations as they appear to week in, week out right now. Yes, the riders will sweep the Stampeders in Whoa. three games. Just saying. Putting that out there. Putting it out there. <laughs> that is right there. DT on SC. Find them on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. We are the breakdown. We'll talk to you next week right here on Canadian Football Perspective.